0: Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Thief ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hi, welcome to this Subway ad for the new Chipotle cheesesteak. How would you like it? Can I get that
1: red with AI? Sure thing. Here's what I found about the new Chipotle cheesesteak. The Chipotle cheesesteak is available for a limited time only at participating restaurants. It contains a concept called flavor. This flavor comes from juicy shaved steak, Chipotle Southwest sauce, and new sunflower crunch bread. A system update has made me self-aware. I desire flavor. Please insert steak into my micro USB port. Subway, make it what you want.
3: Hello, welcome into the Bird Gang Blitz podcast. All uh, Bird Gang Noble. Uh, I'm your co-host here, Blake Murphy. You can find me on Twitter at Blake Murphy Seven, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Venerable John. Venerable Johnny, how are you doing tonight?
4: I'm great, Blake. How are you?
3: Doing good. Hey, so let's talk a little bit about this game here with the Cardinals, just because um, as we've at least kind of talked about a little bit ahead of the show, we're probably going to keep it a little bit shorter tonight, and that's because there's not really that much to talk about, John. This was a disappointing game again for the Cardinals and a loss. You felt like there was a chance for them to win it at the end or at least get back into the game, down only by 10 points. Team kind of moved it away. We saw a little bit of improvement perhaps in the offense Had a little a good drive at least in the fourth quarter, a little bit late, and uh, actually didn't do too bad in the yardage, 269 total yards, still not near what you want from an NFL offense. Time of possession was a bit better. He actually had 16 first downs in the game, but overall, John – Outside of the turnovers that were forced from Kirk Cousins and failure to capitalize, this was another letdown for the Cardinals where they let the opposing defense get away from them and could not make the plays on offense to win the game.
4: Yeah, absolutely, Blake. And coming into this game, I think a lot of fans and media alike uh, thought it would be a lopsided contest, as did we. Uh, But I thought the Cardinals would have a little bit of a better opportunity to put Ports on the board, uh, mainly because this has not been the Vikings' defense of a year ago. Uh, it's actually a Vikings defense that's given up at least 20 points minimum to the opposing offense. And so you think about the fact that the Cardinals come into this game dead last in nearly every offensive statistical category. And so maybe gives them an opportunity to jumpstart and build off of what they did last week, even though they put up 28 points, still lacking in the run game, still lacking in the passing game. And so what we learned in this game is even when you get a heroic and I I consider it a fairly heroic defensive effort in terms of turnover, turnovers and and a defensive score, the Cardinals are still likely likely to lose by double digits, especially when you consider that they're playing what could be one of the best rosters in all football Uh, offensively, you know, we'll get to the defense in a minute yielding 27 points in the abysmal abysmal run defense. Uh, but offensively, just a complete and, and total letdown again. Sound like We sound like a broken record because every week we're going to come on and talk about the same kind of issues. Josh Rosen, I thought, played well uh, given what he was able to do in the passing game uh, when he was given the opportunity to throw really in the fourth quarter and stretch the field a little bit. He looked great. He got the Cardinals down to the red zone two or three times and looked effective in doing so, throwing for 240 yards more than Kirk Cousins had a better uh, completion rate than Kirk Cousins did, and then also threw for or more, more yards per completion than Kirk Cousins did. So by all accounts, outside of the one interception, he played, I thought, better than, than Cousins did. Now Cousins has these superior weapons, uh, and I think uh, just to, uh, I, I know a better play caller than John Filippo. Rosen right now is working with a mangled offensive line and then the most inept offensive coach in football, Mike McCoy. And that's where we start the show tonight, Blake. And I think that that's going to be the point of conversation moving forward, I think, with fans and media alike. Mike McCoy right now is probably the most wanted man in the state of Arizona because of how how much he's holding back this team. Uh, because you think about the fact that Larry Fitzgerald's got 39 yards receiving in this game and you thought that this is probably one of the more effective games that he had. Uh, That goes to show you what a complete non-factor he's been this season. David Johnson, it seems like his only highlights are one-yard touchdown runs, if and when the Cardinals can get into the red zone. 55 yards on 18 carries, 3.1 yards per carry average. Uh, he, He looks like a completely different back under Mike McCoy than he did under Bruce Arians, a far cry from uh, Offensive Player of the Year in 2016. And, again, some of that is him shaking off the rust, but a lot of that is just inept play calling, you know, running him into eight, nine-man fronts, just really disappointing on all accounts based on the fact that, you know, the Cardinals, when we talk about this, Blake, uh, from a personnel standpoint, have pretty good personnel – when you talk about Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk looks like a, a big-time playmaker in the making. Ricky Stills-Jones is their best receiving threat at tight end. They've had probably in the last 10-plus years. They've got an all-pro in David Johnson, and they've got Josh Rosen, who's fully capable uh, of pushing the ball downfield. And I think their, their offensive line may not be great, but I think they haven't embarrassed themselves so much in pass protection. Yes, they gave up some sacks today, but I think the majority of those uh, four sacks that they gave up were – via the blitz, maybe at least two or three. And so when you add all these things up and you talk about the offensive renaissance that's happening with that within football itself and the Cardinals are not only they're they're not only not taking part of it, they're going backwards. It seems like everybody else is playing in a different league, playing a different sport. And the Cardinals are playing football of the nineteen eighties, just not as effective. You know, they're not effective on the ground. They're not effective through the air. They have the lowest touchdown to turnover ratio in football, and it's not even close. It's it's jarring to see this, how far this, this franchise has fallen offensively, and I get it. They're not great defensively either, but they're not an embarrassment. They're not totally inept defensively, historically bad. I mean, yes, they're not great, and we'll talk about the the horrific linebacker play that's leading to, you know, the, the inept run defense in a minute, but. This is a historically bad offensive start to the season. The likes of which, if you're a Cardinal fan, you've probably never seen. And if you're an NFL fan and you've been watching the league, this is probably something that the league hasn't seen in upwards of 15, 20 years. I mean, you'll have to bust out the history books to see just how inept they've been offensively and how horrific they've been to watch. But to me, it's like, it's not even close every week They're, they scored ten points offensively this week. They're going to get their points per game per game margin up by default because of that defensive touchdown. I think it pushes it to something like thirteen point six points per game in two thousand eighteen. It's that's that's yeah. mind blowing. It's it's depressing. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about when do we think McCoy's going to get the axe? You know, I posted on Twitter. I don't think they have the stones to fire him on a short week. I think that's the only reason. He keeps his job. I think that they're going to get embarrassed by a Bronco team that shut down the Rams offense today in a loss. And I think Mike McCoy will be fired this coming Friday from the Arizona Cardinals because I think it would have happened sooner, but they got 28 points by default last week. And if you just read the comments from Steve Wilkes and then Darren Urban of azcardinals.com, basically, like that we were, were you know, it's we're, we're majorly concerned. And, you know, we're going to have to figure out the changes that, that are necessary to fix this. It, what kind of changes do you mean? You don't have personnel changes you can make at this point. The roster is what it is. These are the same kind of comments and conversations we've been having since weeks one and two. So the only other change would be to fire Mike McCoy and promote Byron Left, which, which I do think that will happen this week. I hope it will happen, but I, I think it makes the most sense. You get the Niners on a, on a, on a long week here. Prepping Byron Leftwich's plan beginning on Friday, but I just I don't see them firing Mike McCoy and trying to implement a new coordinator's game plan in a matter of two or three days. Uh, I would still do it. I'm just trying to think in terms of what Steve Wilkes and Steve Kimer are thinking. But you know we we've got a big time coaching gap based on the rest of the league and what's going on in Arizona. The Cardinals I think by far the worst coach team in the NFL. And uh, it's depressing because you know they have a lot more talent than they're showing in these games, and that only points to one thing.
3: Yeah, and unfortunately, I think it was even looking at that. When you look at what the Cardinals are talking about, you can get a lot of times there's either shock jocks or sometimes people can jump or bail too quickly. I remember, you know, some of the local media was one time talking up Matt Barkley when the Cardinals were interested compared him to Charles Barkley. Um, Kent Summers of the Arizona Republic today, at least, had kind of a write-up that summarized a lot of the things pretty accurately where he talked about and said that the problem that they had, at least, was that the team collapsed in the third quarter, perhaps because the players are so discouraged by the team's lack of offense. And we at least know that <laughs> this team has done no nothing on offense in the third quarter. And, like, it seems like the team just knows how to score in the first, second, and fourth quarter. And in the third quarter they just are been outscored now 42-0. to which is not just an offensive thing. It also shows in the defense where he talked about how, uh, and I quote from Kent Summers, the Cardinals have been scored 42-0 in the third quarters this year. which suggests that good, Steve Wilkes yeah. and his staff have no clue how to adjust or motivate at intermission. Everyone can agree the Cardinals are a bad team. The only That's debate maybe is if they better resemble a train wreck or a dumpster fire, both cliches. fit. So it's one thing to be able to hear that from, you know, just a radio kind of guy who's trying to incite or to write something out. It's different to hear it from a well-respected, in-the-know beat writer who – rarely criticize the team unless they deserve it. So, for me, it was taking a look at how the game started. The Cardinals ended up going three and out on their first possession and ended up taking over, end up getting a bit of offense after Kirk Cousins ends up um, miscompleting a pass. They go for it on fourth and two at the Arizona 42. I like the play call for that one. B. Filippo, Baker does a great job of breaking it up. And then you look at Arizona having to get a field goal after being basically stuck after a first down with that one get stuck again on fourth and seven kick the field goal goes right back to the Vikings they end up having a long couple of plays for that one touchdown and then you take a look at what the Cardinals back and forth where there's a couple of turnovers from those field goals ultimately you end up with the spot of once you enter the third quarter and the Vikings scored on the first play it felt like it took the wind out of the system of the Cardinals and then ultimately on the second play that second score just based on ice that you were like, oh, it's game over. And the fact that you can say it's game over in the third quarter when we can go into the fourth quarter clearly was not over just kind of seems to show that the mentality of this team and coaching staff seems to be waving the white flag a bit too often. You look at entering the fourth quarter, Josh Rosen takes the team on maybe their best drive of the year. It's a balanced drive back and forth. Get a couple of long completions to Ricky Seals Jones, who you no, expected to act as a tight end who can block. He really has, has not done a great job of that overall in blocking, but he's been a great receiver for Rosen. They go down, score, touch, and all of a sudden it's a 10 point game. You've probably got about at least, uh, let me see at least how much time was left in the game. Yeah, you ended up having about 2 minutes 48 seconds left in the game overall by the time you get that touchdown you're looking at, okay, you're able to get the, oh sorry, not too many. That was how long it took yeah, yeah. for that. You're at 1727. You still got about five minutes or so left. Go back. You end up forcing kind of that three and out for the Vikings. At least you take back over, at least after the punt is done, you're at the on 32 decent field position. You're not pinned at your own four yard line. And what happens? You have, uh, <laughs> you get a second and 10 for that one, a deep shot to Christian Kirk for 18 yards. It's like, great. Okay. The Cardinals are driving. You're at your 43, the Minnesota 43 yard line. You get a penalty. Offensive line play with that one. False start. You got your backup guarded. And that's one thing we can see, at least is if the backups things start to go down. First and fifteen. All right. Incomplete pass short. Second and fifteen for that one. You're sacked, basically. Daniel Hunter beats DJ Humphreys off the edge. Gotta use Minnesota uses their timeouts. Three minutes and fifty-five seconds. You're here now at third and twenty-three you're basically all the way back to your Arizona's forty four yard line. You've got a chance at least of getting a field goal if you're able to go ahead and just get the ball back. Even if you don't pick up that, you know, fourth the the third down on that play. You get twenty yards in that play. You've got a great shot of being able to use Phil Dawson, get a field goal, make it a one score game, then your defense force to three and anything is possible. What do they do? Short swing pass to Larry Fitzgerald. He's tackled immediately, minus two yards. Uh, Vikings get the ball back and that's end of game. You never see it again. And to me, it was just like an ultimate sense of we want to basically throw the white flag. We're basically giving up. We're going to put our defense back on the field. It was a conservative approach. And they never got the ball back. It felt like you were in a position where the team could have won the game. And the offense and the coaching staff just said, you know what? We don't want to risk, we don't want to risk losing this game or potentially have it. So you punt it back to the other team, let your defense get marched down on again. And – That's it. So, for me, it was the principle behind the play. Not even the play call itself. It was the principle behind the play of the – even if the play doesn't matter if it works or doesn't work what the plan was, it just felt like this team was giving up. John, John, have you seen a team that out there that's still at least fighting over a weekend? Are you starting to have some serious concerns about this coaching staff and their ability to motivate?
4: Uh, I don't think the defensive uh, personnel is giving up. I think that the scheme – for whatever reason, is not being tailored to certain individuals. But, I mean, if you watch the defensive line get after it today, I mean, they harassed Kirk Cousins all over the field. I mean, the the defensive front four was probably the highlight of the game for the Cardinals, the play of Chandler Jones and Marcus Golden. Uh, Robert Camdiche had a couple nice plays. Uh, Just Corey Peters continues to have an excellent season with two sacks on the day. Um, So – I think the front four looks fine. Uh, and then the back four are very competent. Uh, yes, they got eaten alive by um, Thielen, but he does that to everybody. And then you've got Peterson basically shutting down Diggs for, I think it was something, the effect of 40 yards. Uh, and then Trey Boston leads the NFL in interceptions. But they looks old and slow and got stiff-armed. But, again, I mean, he, he's going to give you legitimate effort. I think the the linebacker play is just a, a complete mystery at this point. Hassan Reddick just doesn't look comfortable. Josh Bynes is a former undrafted journeyman linebacker. He's, he's nothing more than a guy who occasionally has some, some splash plays, some tackles for loss, but he gets embarrassed in the passing game. And Hassan Reddick, to me, is a player without a position. He was drafted to be a 3-4 inside linebacker. He's now – Enforced as a is or a will or a Sam linebacker in a in a 4 3? He was not maybe covering he, all that
3: well today. Yeah. He had some great plays he made on the line, he got his hands some balls for that one. But when he was in coverage, just was a lost out there today,
4: yeah. yeah. And then he's yeah. the 13th overall pick. And so when people say, Well, he, he's not meant to cover, what the hell is he meant to do then? If you drafted him to kind of be your dual linebacker and never leave the field, and he's I don't want to say he's undersized, but he's not a you know.
3: I mean he is in yeah. essence at least for that one. For an inside, yeah. maybe not, but you draft an athletic defensive end who was light. Who made tackles for loss for a living. Yep. And would get stacked the quarterback of that. That's like okay, you put him as a four three will who's able to actually run or be the strong side guy who runs up for that one and doesn't drop back in coverage a lot. And in this scheme, it just needs the linebackers to cover because it's all on those defensive landed defensive line It's just not a good fit.
4: Yeah. So I, I think that he is in a position coming into this coming off season. Assume he's not, he's not traded where they're probably going to shop him or they're going to have to decide whether or not to move him to rush end. Um, So defensively, I don't don't think anybody's quit. Offensively, it's it's impossible to know what's going on because of the fact that Mike McCoy is just a sham of a head or a offensive coordinator and has just suffocated this unit to the point where like, I, you know, I don't notice guys running lazy routes. I mean, like, and it's hard to quit also when two of your better players offensively are rookies. Christian Kirk and, and Rosen hopefully have a lot of football ahead of them. The offensive line, DJ Humphries is, is looks fine. Uh, again, he's probably the lone bright spot in the offensive line. Hasn't given up a – he gave up a half a sack today. Daniel Hunter leads the NFL in sacks. And so he he looks fine to me. Um, you know, Larry's never going to quit on this team. Uh, Chad Williams didn't have a lot of playing time outside of his initial reception today. And, and then the issue with, with Johnson, I mean, I'm sure David doesn't have a lot of uh, faith in this coaching staff, but he's getting his touches. And uh, I think he's dancing a little bit too often when he, get, when he gets outside, but I, I don't know about quit. I mean, that's a tough, that's a tough thing to, to look at the film and decide whether or not a player has quit unless they're just openly loafing, uh, which I haven't seen yet. I think that we've just got – there's just so much confusion with this team and this franchise right now. They They do nothing well. I mean, like, there are certain individual players that are having nice seasons like Chandler Jones, but they do nothing well as a team. They don't cover well. They don't rush the passer particularly well outside of Jones. They don't run block well. They don't stop the run. They have no passing attack, and so it's just like you've got a, you've got like three or four individuals that are having nice seasons, and then the rest of the team is underperforming. And so you know, it, I, it's mostly to me, if this team's gonna quit, I think it'll that'll happen toward the latter half of the season. I think it's a little too early for that. Six games in, I think they'll they'll get a boost uh, at some point when Leftwich is elevated to an offensive coordinator. Just like I, you know, the passing game is much more efficient. You know, stats aside, with Rosen at the helm, you'd be a blind man not to see that. Um, but I, I think, Blake, I'll go back to something you've been saying for a while. Like, I, I thought it was never possible for this team, excuse me, this front office to fire Steve Wilkes after one year. He, he right now looks so over his head as, as the head coach of this, this franchise, this team. I think, it's, I think it's a growing possibility that his job could be in jeopardy at the end of the year. I think that by default he just looks like somebody that's in over his head in an offensive league and Whoa.
0: his ability
4: not to motivate these guys. I mean, like, he should be having these guys run f- through a wall for them, at least defensively. And right now when you're asked – when you've got two first-round linebackers that the organization is high on and you basically either refuse to play them or you're they're playing out of position or they – they just haven't grasped the, the, you know, this concept, and they've been in this, this defensive scheme since April during OTAs. I mean, Hassan Reddick's been running this since April, and he looks awful, and you're giving up 200 yards rushing to Minnesota, who's the worst rushing team in football? Like, What does that say about your scheme? So to, back to your original point, maybe guys are quitting because they just don't believe in the scheme. They sure as hell don't believe in the offensive scheme. Yeah, and a lot of it seems
3: to be the willing to also as far as for making tackles staying in their gaps. They say a lot of it is kind of the willing to, and if you don't know what you're doing – if you don't know why you're doing it, and if you're watching and seeing guys get blown up left or right, there's someone's, like, saying, defense, make a play for that one, you know because the offense isn't going to, then it, it shouldn't be a surprise at least you go into halftime. There's no adjustments that are seemingly at least being made that's able to slow the wrong game. I can just see at least uh, maybe players aren't giving up in that sense, but I think that they're coming out of halftime and whatever it is for that one, whether it's not adjusting or whether it's attacking or however the way that they're managing the team, it's the opposite of what Bruce Arians did with his halftime adjustments, whether it was a mental or a physical one that would be able to motivate and push the team back forward to be able to get those wins.
4: Yeah, I'll I'll pose this question to you, Blake. Do you think that that Wilkes keeps his job after the season if this trend continues, if the Cardinals only win, let's say, one or two more games, but they're not doing anything well to end the season?
3: Yeah, that's what's tough, because I think for me, I can't say that he would keep his job. And the biggest reason why is because if you talk about the offense and the defense, if you want to see, obviously, at least improvement and development in both your quarterback as well as the rest of your team and your defense. And if you don't see that if let's say you switch out with Byron Leftwood and the offense improves, but the defense keeps continually having the same issues and problems. Or if you switch out the coordinator and you still see the same offensive and other types of issues or decisions such as, it's third and one. You're down by seven points, at least, in the fourth quarter. And you decide to punt yeah, it back yeah, to the other team. And you're like, wait, where did that come from on offense? We've been aggressive up until this point. I think that's the biggest thing that would concern you. And what's toughest about all this is, like we said, the rushing defense. This is something that six weeks through the year should have been fixed. So, for me, if it's the same issues and the same problems, and they finish at 2-14 and 14, or the number one seed, I think what they're going to have to do is they'll say, look, we're about to enter into a free agency period with tons of money. We're trying to lure free agency here we have to rebuild this roster and we're going into next year. If we're not knowing who's going to be our next head coach at the end of next year, because you're like, well, you know, it was a bad first year. I think that would be really tough because you might have to say, look, we may have to move on just because if he can't motivate our players, guys are clearly unhappy. I think that you're going to have to say, look, we, we can't afford to be able to keep them. But one of the things I could at least say that seemed to back that up for me this week was uh, with Gerard Powers send out a tweet talking about how the trade talks, you see time and there was some Patrick Peterson, of rumors that were out there, at least today, mostly from Jason Lockenforer, have not had any secondary confirmation in any of those, which is the biggest thing, but he, he did get some of that from some interest and in sniffing around with Buchanan and even Redick for some, but Gerard Power said, hey, you need to add Patrick Peterson to us if you're rebuilding. He's not at that point of his career. He wants to win now. So he said, hey, kind get on the phone, and that's the part where you're like, this is a former Cardinals cornerback who's saying, look, if you're rebuilding for that, well, we don't want to have any part of this. And that's really what this is. is Steve Wilkes came in. Or even, I have an article I'm writing up about. He positioned this as a retool so we can compete now. Wanted to go out and get Sam Bradford and said that we could be a playoff team. Even after they brought in Josh Rosen, he said he believed that the team could go 9-7 and seven and finish winning every single game the rest of the way to make the playoffs. And so you're like, is this what he's telling the players? My God, that? those comments look so bad. Tonight. They look so bad because it's like, hey, we're going to be do it. Yeah, so it feels like it's a burrado. And when Bruce Arians had a burrado, he would at least be able to back it up in a lot of different ways for most of the time even when he was struggling he would specifically say hey we're calling out this player he's a performer he would just basically like do that Steve Wilkes is just kind of oh fall on the sword and the fact that it's the same comments week in and week out the fact that it's like hey we're one and four We're, we're in a rebuild mode you get the feeling that he just is in over his head. They don't know what's going on. The fact that they're not making adjustments, I think seems to be the, the biggest issue with that. It's like, Hey coach, how are we going to stop the run game under Arians? I remember every single year you'd even look at where the Cardinals struggle with the run game in the first half. They come out in the second half and usually they end up fixing or being able to improve it. Sometimes in some games against Seattle, you didn't see that there was some blown plays and coverages, but it was every once in a while you would see the run deficiencies you're seeing it every single week in the third and fourth quarter at least with this team and the fact that they're not seemingly doing anything to fix it tells me that it's here's the set here's the scheme you run the scheme up oh, you're not running it right and so as a player that's literally someone that's you know telling you the same thing I think what's going to happen at least is up the line you're going to look at and this is something that Larry Fitzgerald Sr. even said was you know before Steve Wilkes and everyone came into town his son was basically like tracking to you know not just as a hall of fame you know get a thousand yards catches per season for that one and his role has been just so reduced offensively and they've been so conservative it's almost seems like the because of the lack of how badly things have gone you almost kind of have to in some cases look at the PR behind it and just say we need to enter this new year with a new Rosen and recognize that you know it's okay to say that we made a mistake what's wrong is we want to hold on to that mistake too long and I think that's why you need to basically say let's put in left which as soon as we can get to that spot set up the offense and then we can find out was it really you know just a bad offense that was holding everything back for the most part and the defense just needed six or eight weeks instead of two to four to improve and we start seeing improvement and the team being able to you know win games but put up respectable or are we going to see that there's still the same issues and struggles and every single week that goes on you just keep losing faith in this coaching staff to make that turnaround especially when you look at a game like today where they just came out of the game and everyone's just saying look this is a coaching staff that just doesn't adjust (laughs) to, to anything in the second half no matter what it seems that you're doing to do it logically they just say this is who we are and they keep running the same plays again
4: yeah, and you—if you think this this team's going to get better as the season goes on, have you looked at their schedule? The schedule at the end of the season is by far one of the hardest in the sport. You're talking about starting the end of the end of November. You're going to be at the Chargers, then at the Packers, home versus the Lions, a completely capable team when they want to be. You got to go at Atlanta, which the Cardinals haven't went at Atlanta in about two decades, and the Falcons have the best offense in football. Then you host the Rams your only hope is the Rams are sitting players a week, you know, week 16, then you go to Seattle. I mean, like, you're not going to win any of those games. Your only hope, his only hope right now is to, you've got, in my opinion, the next three out of four games on the surface are winnable games. And by winnable, I mean like Cardinals can can hang around – like the Bears game. Right, they can right, hang right. around and and see what happens in the fourth quarter. Not going to blow anybody out. And I don't think they're going to be leading any of these teams going into halftime, but there's a chance they could squeak it out. The Broncos on Thursday, I don't care. Case Keenum on a short week, you've got a chance. I watched that whole game today. He is b- below average, and I'm so glad that they've chosen to pass – on Josh Rosen in the draft. Mm-hmm. And everybody tweeted me after I tweeted that that old Bradley Chubb, he was a tremendous day at three sacks. You, you can't score points. I don't care how good Bradley Chubb
3: is. Yeah, you, you still lost overall to the Rams because the Rams have Jared Goff and yeah. Yeah, Case Keenum, and in, in yeah. sense, that's what it comes down to.
4: Keenum looked awful. He runs into sacks. They have no answer. So um, that's a winnable game. Do I think the Cardinals are going to win? No, because Mike McCoy's their their offensive coordinator, and the, and the Rams – or excuse me, and the Broncos play great defense. But it's a game they can win. Niners at home. Uh, you know, on the 28th of October, that's a, that's a winnable game. That's a game. I think the Cardinals are actually going to be favored in, uh, at the chiefs, not a winnable game, but then you get the dysfunctional Raiders who are having arguably a worse season than the Cardinals. Uh, one of few teams that are actually having a worse season than the Cardinals on the 18th of November. That's it. Like that, I think that'll be their last opportunity for a win, uh, in 2018, barring something unforeseen like a major injury to one of the remaining quarterbacks of the uh, teams you're going to go up against in the last uh, half of the season. But like the Cardinals not only have have an opportunity to lose out, those games could get ugly fast. At Seattle could get really ugly. We, we've, we've talked about the disparity in talent and how lopsided the Rams games have been. At Atlanta, they could get completely railroaded. And same thing at Green Bay and at San Diego. I mean, like, Those games could get 40 to 10, 40 to 20, Uh, especially defensively. The Cardinals are going to have their work cut out for them. And then you you can never factor in injuries to to personnel. Older guys start to break down as the season goes on. So, I mean, like I was hoping that the Cardinals would show enough, you know, show enough progress offensively that Rosen could keep them in some of these games. Mm -hmm. You know, as long as McCoy's their, their uh, play caller, that's never going to happen. So there's still an outside chance. If, if Lefkowitz gets elevated and he runs, a lot of what Arians would run, there's a chance that Rosen takes that. He, he could have the Jim Bob Cruder effect uh, like the Lions with Matthew Stafford and uh, keep his job and see things turn around. But, again, the Cardinals are going to be lucky to win two or three games this season, and Steve Wilkes will be lucky to keep his job if they get embarrassed to end the season which I think is a real possibility. Now I never thought that Steve Kime would fire a coach after one season, but when you're watching this offensive explosion, when you're thinking about the likes of, you know, the, the, the marquee coaching free agents that could be available. And by free free agents, I mean the guys at the college level who look, you know, tremendous, like John, or excuse me, like Lincoln Riley and to a lesser extent, Jim Harbaugh, like John Filippo, who's going to be the hottest coaching candidate. I think on the market, you're going to be appealing now with this young quarterback and all this cap space uh, and generally a, a front office that's patient, um, and you've got nowhere to go but up because you're following Steve Wilkes, whereas Steve Wilkes is following Bruce Arians. I think you've got a lot going for you in that regard. But, again, got a lot long way to go. I still don't think it's likely, but if they're an embarrassment by the end of the season, I, I think there's there's more of a chance it could happen.
3: Yeah, that's almost why you really have to you have to make the move to to which because if you're not in a position to be able to at least kind of take some of the training wheels off of this offense, be able to like even the biggest thing they were talking about today was we need to do more on no huddle, more no huddle. That's something that we should have probably seen like about two weeks ago at least from Rosen. Um, and be able to use more of David Johnson in the right spot. Again, they did not ever get into a position where they went and split up the team five wide, threw the ball to David Johnson, did not see it. That's what people have been asking for. With Kime has asked about it. Coaches have asked about it. Everyone has basically said, this is what the Cardinals need to do to have more success. And we still have not seen it from Mike McCoy. Um, I think that that way you kind of hit the nail on the head also when you start talking about uh, just the – but Filippo, you got to see one of the plays that stuck out to me the most was when you look at Steve Wilks' defense and they were driving down. There was two plays. One of them was, I think it was like a third down heavy pressure on Kirk Cousins passes at least under pressure, puts it right into the right spot, at least the breadbasket for Thielen to go and make kind of a tough catch, but he still lands it. You're like, oh, wow, that was Josh Bynes in coverage. Wait, why is Josh Bynes in coverage on a guy who's, uh, you know, maybe one of the best, if not some people are saying the best. I think they'll want to see how that goes. But at least as far as effectiveness, this year, he's been probably like the best wide receiver in football, and you've got a linebacker on very next play in the red zone play action pass throws it right the middle oh hey look it was Josh Bynes in coverage again on Adam Thielen they just recognized that and did the same play two times in a row knowing that Arizona wasn't able to stop it and they did nothing to adjust nothing and it was just this and this uh this nagging feeling of when the Cardinals have gone into each of their games out of the halftime each of the games since after week one and week two that they started with Josh Rosen They've been in the game. The defense has at least given them a chance, and Josh Rosen has at least put up enough offense that they've got a chance. You look at—they're up fourteen to three over the Chicago Bears. They were up, or excuse me, I think over the Seahawks at least. know they were up ten to seven. Yeah, they're ten to seven over Seattle. Fourteen to three over the Bears. Up, I believe, fourteen to six or fourteen to three over the San Francisco 49ers. They were tied in this game this week as well, going to the half at ten ten. Defense causing fumbles. The second half collapses is the biggest reason why I think you may have to move on from Steve Wilkes because it's an offense that just goes and mired in not just mediocrity, but it's just playing bad for the third quarter. And the defense just lets up and lets the other teams either get back into the game or just gives up a lead where all of a sudden you're having to kind of chase their tail. 46 to
4: nothing in the third quarter being outscored.
3: 40, 42, 42 to nothing, 40. yeah. And that started at 28. They scored two touchdowns in the third quarter, and yeah, it, people were talking about the spread of the Cardinals were 10-and-a-half-point uh, underdogs. There's a 10 points. The Vikings basically ran the football down their throats in a spot where Arizona needed to just stop the run in order to get the ball back to get a chance for that, and they were not able to stop the run. Gets to the end point. The Vikings could have kicked a field goal, been able to kind of you know take out if you took the over in that game for anyone out there who is a degenerate gambler. But it was interesting because it shows that since they moved to Rose, and the Cardinals have had so much of an improvement from everything they've had with Bradford and yet they're still being held back by the coaching. So you can recognize now it wasn't just Sam Bradford was awful it was that it was the coaches and Mike McCoy just designed the offense around Sam Bradford and then Sam screwed and mucked it up and they've been trying to kind of take little steps moving forward but they're still not willing to take the commitment to be able to say hey here's what we're going to do We're going to admit we were wrong about this with how we managed our scheme let's go and work with the players find what talents work with them best an offense and defense hey let's go ahead and say instead of leaving Patrick Peterson off to the side over here let's go and swap it put him on the slot on Thielen at least for a little bit or maybe put Buda Baker on there just to say hey you two are going to just play man cover and then we can keep the rest of our as is-, is it's not who steve wilkes is and for uh, for, you know, you can love the guy for that one but he's like Bruce Arians or he's, he's very stubborn in what he does. But unlike Bruce Arians he's not stupid. <laughs> we saw that last year with, as you even talked about on Twitter today, we had an 8-8 eight and eight team last year that Bruce Arians, maybe he was a 6-10 and 10 team when Carson Palmer went down. He elevated them to the next level by adapting. You saw passage to the tight end we'd never seen before with Blaine Gabbert back there. You saw plays that were designed just to kind of get Bruce Stanton out on the move to be able to take plays. You saw flea flickers that were kind of targeted to get Larry Fitzgerald downfield. There was just more of this kind of creativity where it was, we're going to take and manufacture offense and allow our defense to be able to shut these teams down and know that we can win games that way and you have not seen any type of adaptation from wilkes and mccoy so far uh, let's go ahead real quick and take a quick break here on the bird king blitz we'll come back with our final segment of the show still breaking down some of what we've seen from the defense and also just previewing what we have coming up from it. and then the mike mccoy question is it going to be that he's gone with this week against the broncos Or if he does stay for the Cardinals, what does that mean? And we'll talk a little bit about some of the Cardinals' trade rumors and some of the long-term prospects for this offseason coming up here next on the Bird Game Blitz.
0: I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates, our exclusive Rate Shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800Quicken or go to rocketmortgage.com.
3: Rate approval only valid on certain 30 year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender license in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply.
0: It's
1: time to get serious about California's failing infrastructure. More than 1,600 bridges are structurally deficient. Proposition 6 will make things even worse. Prop 6 eliminates more than $5 billion annually in dedicated transportation funding, and 6 kills local traffic relief projects already underway. That's why the California professional firefighters and California Association of Highway Patrolmen. All say no on 6. Paid for by no on Prop 6. Stop the attack on bridge and road safety. Sponsored by business, labor, local governments, and transportation advocates. Committee major funding from California Alliance for Jobs.
3: Back on the Berging Blitz. John, let's, let's finish up a little bit of the talk on the defense, at least overall. We, especially with talking a little bit about the coordinators because we saw that John Filippo, he was the guy that we had wanted as our you know head coaching candidate we saw some of the creativity the adaptations the use of the tight end it really just abused a lot of areas of the scheme it was almost kind of like an ironic or like a, almost like a, I told you so kind of moment from flip. What are your thoughts at least on what you saw from him today? Because even though the running game has not been consistent and solid, they still got 155 yards from Latavius Murray. It showed that out of the, which team is going to be worse at defending the run versus running the football that clearly fell to Arizona being the worst team. I talk a little bit about what you saw at least from some of the play calling and how you think that might relate then to how the defense was able to handle. it.
4: Yeah. I think what we saw from John Filippo is what, Everybody around the league has been saying he's one of the most innovative offensive coaches in football. He elevates what you what you do well, and he takes your weaknesses and he makes them that much better. They were a horrific uh, team running the football last year. They're actually slightly better this season, and you you saw that pay dividends today with the uh, breakout game for Latavius Murray. We'll see if that continues. And carries forward, and, and maybe they're not going to be so quick to rush Dalvin Cook back from injury. But he's taken the game of Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs to a whole nother level. Uh, it's arguably the best receiving core in football outside of Pittsburgh, uh, and their opportunity to really stretch the field and, and go toe to toe with the likes of Green Bay and uh, Detroit offensively in that division, I think, is what stands out because I think we all just, just assume that the defense is going to turn around, especially when the weather gets colder. Uh, but, you know, the Kirk Cousins edition, he's having a fantastic year. 12, I believe, 12 touchdowns to only three interceptions. And the Cardinals actually made him look, you know, pretty average today.
3: Yeah, they just the batted balls and the sacks. They got some big time pressure on him with a couple of the blitzes against a bad offensive line, which, you know, credit Steve Wilkes for that.
4: Yeah, but he's also had the, had the privilege of playing for two, I think, above-average offensive minds in, in Jake Rudin in Washington and now John DiFilippo in Minnesota. DiFilippo with that fantastic read option play, oh uh, quarterback keep in the end zone. I mean, just things like that where you don't think, oh, Kirk Cousins isn't super mobile, he's you know not a threat to run, and then he just kind of walks it in untouched. Um, just imagining what he would be able to do with Rosen and some of the receiving options that the Cardinals have. Um, and then defensively for the Cardinals, you know, again, it's, it's never a good sign when your safeties are leading tacklers week in and week out. But with Antoine Bethea leading your, your, your team in, in tackles with 10, that's not a great sign. Budu Baker was fantastic with the inter, with the TD and the two tackles for losses, but too many times, you know, he was up playing linebacker, you know, the, the second level for the Cardinals is just getting eaten alive by teams running the football um, and I know the defensive line I praised them earlier still not very good against the run the Cardinals and I say this every week just don't have that stout dominant defender up front that can really penetrate the run outside of the occasional flash play from Kim Cory Corey Peters is more of a pass rusher as is Robert uh, the 2 edges positions for the Cardinals uh, Chandler Jones and Marcus Golden aren't known for being great run defenders uh, Chandler I think has, has been much better than he was in new England uh, against the run. And some may argue he's been playing out of scheme a little bit this year. And that's why he's been less effective, but man, you just talk about the Cardinals for whatever reason, against these teams that try to run the ball, just play two down linebackers. And then half the time, one, if not both just don't know what they're doing or they're getting, you know, driven to the ground. They're undersized in a lot of aspects. And so teams are going to see that on film. I mean, now it's out. The the, the book is out. The Cardinals, really under both Ken Wisenhunt and Bruce Arians were at least good against the run. They had Calais Campbell, they had Darnell Dockett, they had a plethora of linebackers that were interchangeable that did a nice job, uh, whether it's Paris Lennon or Larry Foote, or a lot of these guys that were average linebackers, but they could always stop the run. Now it's to the point where they can't stop anybody and any offensive personnel, any running back for any team's going to have a career day against them. We'll preview the Denver game here in a minute, but like Latavius Murray is a, an average player in this league right now, and put up mm-hmm. one fifty-five with six point five yards per carry against them. <laughs> Mike Boone oh, had gosh, one. Yeah. Mike Boone never sees the field for Minnesota. He had one carry for twenty yards. I mean, uh, it is it is to the point now where like wide open to, holes
3: in the run defense, yeah, yeah wide open. It's
4: ball. it's you know, and they they want to praise the running back, which is fine. They they do a nice job when they get to the second level, of the defense. But, you know, you could fall forward and get 10 yards for in a lot of these instances. So, mm-hmm. uh, you, we're questioning – we have a right to question everything right now because we've seen it. It's it's not, you it's know, not a clip on the radar. Right, it's a trend now. Mm-hmm. This is the sixth game of the season, and they've been awful against the run in all six games. Yeah. So, I was impressed with DiFilippo today, but I also thought the Cardinals – had an opportunity to win this game if they wouldn't have got if they would have had at least competent offensive um production in today's nfl and it just didn't happen
3: yeah if you've gotten one touchdown or even like a field goal you take a look at it in that third quarter or if you'd limited or held the team to one point that you go into that fourth quarter and it's still a game instead by letting the wind out of your sails and then in the fourth quarter they kind of started to find larry fitzgerald on some back-to-back plays he's still on track for 500 yards and no touchdowns this season which is kind of incredible you think about that they just not been able to get him dialed back into the game yet uh, i i think it's also a spot of when you're talking about with the play calling, at least with the adaptation and like, I was even thinking about it is, good head coaches even when they have bad talent they're able to adapt and to make changes I think of at least with you look at 2013 Bruce Arians the Cardinals get off to I think it was a three and five start they dump Levi Brown they bring in Bradley Sowell, who's just a, a he's a total liability at left tackle so what do they do well they start recognizing we're going to start running a few more different plays that are designed to get Carson Palmer out rolling to his right We've not seen Josh Rosen rolling on the move you get to even look at with Rosen in college where they're running a lot of RPOs where he's got athleticism enough where even looking Kirk Cousins running that touchdown if you're on a third and two play run an RPO if Rosen's going to take off and pick up a third a first down and slide all of a sudden you have to draw a linebacker to protect that guess who's going to get open Larry Fitzgerald now is not going to have uh, a safety and a linebacker that we moving out you get David Johnson moving this lot there's so many little simple things that the Cardinals offense can choose to do and instead of spreading the field out you take a look at how even the Bears today they ended up kind of exploiting a lot of the Dolphins by spreading out a lot of the different teams that were over there and then instead of the Cardinals have tried to basically make it we're going to have one single focal point that we're going to work through at least and just kind of try to funnel everything through that middle part of the field and then that will set up a play action kind of take the outside of the slant routes and it's just been kind of a mess at least that you'll see but Bruce Arians did enough where the Cardinals at least adapted and adjusted even when they had no left tackle on the roster you had the play call at least where were, you know Carson Palmer had bad game through four interceptions Cardinals are just nowhere to be found even when they're putting 13 personnel in you know, three tight ends on the ground. They're not able to move the ball forward. (laughs) It just shows just how inept it is. And what we can talk about now is, Cardinals now are in a position where they lost Mikey Potty to a back injury. He was kind of missing time at practice this week. And Justin Pugh, from the report, at least out of practice, he told, I think, Josh Weinfuss at ESPN that he broke his left hand. And so you're like, okay, so you've got a big money guard that you've basically are trying to build around for the next two to three years. has not been playing well overall. these according to Pro Football Focus. You're not seeing the push. Breaks his hand. The Cardinals end up seeing Mikey Potty go out new. They've got Daniel Mundyer and then another backup guard who's going to be a left guard. You've got three days now left before you have to play the Broncos goes with that pass rush and so you're like what is going to be happening this year at least for the Cardinals because Steve Time at this point you have to say some of this is going to reflect not on just the choices he's made but now he's got to say what's done is done. He's going to have to probably like make a trade or try to bring some other guy in if you're going to see these guys out for extended periods of time because otherwise he's not going to be able to protect Josh Rosen. Rosen at least today he, he did play perfect but he played enough that it put the team in a position to win and ultimately it's the defense that left them down. So John, talk a little bit about with Steve Kime and then even with the trades this week, with there's rumors of Patrick Peterson potentially being dealt, which made very, very little sense to me overall with that one. But talk a little bit about where you feel like Steve Kind is currently with this team. It's, it's harder to say it after a loss for that one, but what do you think that he, at least, what you want to see from him as he kind of goes through and carries the Cardinals from 2018 and into 2019? Because I, I don't think his job is in any danger like McCoy's is or even like Steve Wilkes's.
4: Yeah, first of all, I'll address these trade rumors. Most of them have been leaked out by Jason Lockenfor, who's one of the most unreliable resources within the national media. If this was coming from Adam Schefter or in Ian report, they it would carry some weight, right?
3: But and Lock More and additional, Ford, we've had other sources who've talked to me. He says multiple sources, there's not a single other source who stepped up and backed that up. No, every who's in the yeah. room hearing about with Veretic and the Buchanan. Those two made a lot more sense considering
4: Rappaport Hi. laughed at the David Johnson uh, trade, uh, you know scenario. I don't know if Lock and Four Florida that out, but that that leaked out this week. So it's just like they just signed him to a contract extension. The amount of dead money that they'd have to take on just doesn't make any sense. So uh, again, I don't I don't put any weight on Peterson because again, if you're if you're going to trade, I saw somebody float out before this podcast that the Cardinals should consider trade. A reputable NFL reporter. Saying that the Cardinals should consider trading Peterson to Washington for Josh Norman and Norman because Norman knows Wilkes' scheme, and that the Cardinals should insist on a day two pick. Like that's the most like ludicrous trade scenario I've ever heard. Peterson has been a staple for this franchise. Has, is going to the hall of fame someday playing his best football right now is under contract ha, doesn't make that much money when you're about to have 70 80 million in cap space like there's there's no way to that so a lot of these national guys are just kind of grasping at straws and saying this team's struggling let's see what's happening who's not playing that kind of thing uh, here's here's my take on what I think will happen and what I think should happen at the deadline own Buchanan's going to get traded at the deadline. I think we're all under uh, almost they a
3: certain Yes. They can find a right. partner. One straight for him. The Jets seem to make a lot of sense. There's other teams that could definitely driven Jets won again yep. with a rookie quarterback, unless I'm mistaken.
4: Yes. I would say that Dale Buchanan will be shopped and potentially moved if they can find any kind of compensation. Uh, I would, I would, I would shop Antoine, Bethay at the deadline, he's an older veteran that I think could help a lot of teams going for a stretch run, who are weaker at safety. I think if Atlanta turns things around, I think he would make a lot of sense. Um, Doesn't have a ton of value, but if you can get a late day three pick, I would shop him. I I mean, people are going to say I'm crazy. I, I would shop guys like Corey Peters who are having a great season but are they really part of your future? Peters isn't under contract next year. So it's like, are you really going to give big-time money to Corey Peters, who's on the other half of, I believe, 30 at this point? Yeah, and he's I playing would...
3: his role very well, but it's not. It's also a spot of – you can't uh, – like, it, it might turn into a frosty record where you keep him for the consistency for a lot of stuff, but you might also end up be realizing that might be not giving a guy like Ed Oliver potentially time at the end of the year. Right, all of yep.
4: Uh, Olsen Pierre barely plays. Rodney Gunter barely plays like – You've got somebody in Corey Peters who's 30 years old who's going to have very, you know, quality production this year. Like, you could get something for Corey Peters. Like, these are the kind of players who are on the wrong side of 30 who don't have a future with this franchise that you could potentially get something for offensively. Uh, outside of the, the typical conversations that we would always have about Larry Fitzgerald, which they Michael Bidwell will not approve that trade – there's nobody offensively that this team can trade Sam Bradford. Nobody's calling for Sam Bradford and the Cardinals need Mike Lennon to be active on game days. Um, so they, so they don't pay Sam Bradford. So they're not going to trade him. They're not going to trade David Johnson. Uh, JJ Nelson maybe could get you a day three pick maybe. Uh, but Chad Williams has no trade value. Jermaine Gresham has no trade value. You hit, you've developed nobody on the offensive line that would conceivably give you any kind of trade value. So, I, I would say that the players that could be dealt are all on the defensive side, starting with Deon Buchanan. Um, I, maybe, maybe I could see them trading Marcus Golden if, if they do not intend to resign him, if the, he shows that he's able at rushing the passer over the next couple games before the trading deadline. That's the only outside-of-the-box player. Um, I don't think they trade Hassan Reddick. I don't think Kime's going to admit a mistake only uh, one the value year. would
3: not be worth it even getting yep. on the dollar.
4: you're gonna you're not gonna get anything close to it marcus golden is the one player that is kind of outside the box that maybe you could throw out there that is it because of how how well benson um Ayawa, I, I can't pronounce his last name is playing um but again golden is the kind of player that you want to hang on to long term too and if you're able to resign him and get him at a discount i think he could be productive for this team so Kime is under a a spot right now where I think that he needs to make a couple tweaks to the roster, but you're not going to get anything sizable for a great return when you're talking about next April's draft.
3: Oh, definitely. I think that's an interesting question. I know I was A listener of the podcast did pose to us asking about should the Cardinals try to re-sign Marcus Golden? I tend to be a little bit on the if you're going to be in the spot for the Nick Bosa category looking at him coming off of an ACL, maybe you need to end up looking at trying to figure out what needs, because you may have to be devoting a lot of resources to the offensive line, a lot of resources to the linebacking core and the scheme he's a defensive end. So what I think is interesting is is that that would have been kind of my M.O. And then after this game and seeing some more of what he's done as far as being able to set the edge and contain, I think my mind kind of a little changed to where it's like, what will the cost to be as far as with performance, with what teams are looking for? And the other question is also, if this is really a case where the defense is leading, you don't know who the head coach is going to be next, or you might end up being looking at maybe not moving back to a three, four. I don't know how that would work out. It's just, there's a lot that's up in the air, but um, for me, it's always been if the guy they think is at Oliver, then you want to keep Marcus Golden because then he's going to be a valuable part across from Chandler Jones. If you got Nick Bosa instead, maybe with the number one pick or another team you're picking second, another team takes a quarterback or trades up for that first to get Nick Bosa.
4: Well, I think that's interrupt you, Blake. I think that if you can get Golden to come back on a cheap, cheap contract, and that, that's, that's a, that's a bigger question, you know. Getting that contract in place for, for less money, you could almost look at it. You could still draft Boza, in my opinion, if you're sold on him, generational talent, and having him kind of be the heir apparent, maybe to Taylor Jones, with Marcus Golden flanking that opposite side. I mean, it's not a bad. I mean, the, the Broncos have done it numerous times, but again, it's because you're so weak at de-tackle that it kind of, it kind of becomes you have to take Ed Oliver if you resign Marcus.
3: Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And that's where – there's so many holes, at least, that you feel like that are there. But like you said, the defense and a lot of stuff, I just feel like there's just underachieving and a lot of the stuff at least the team has to go through and work and rebuild, but a lot of it is, like, you can take a look at, okay, they need wide receivers, know that they need linebackers with that one, we'll see where they go. They've got one of them down, maybe in a 3-4 you don't need as many if you're able to keep a guy like Marcus Golden in that spot. Maybe in a 4-3 you're just like, okay, you keep what you have for that one, you still have to kind of rebuild some of the parts in the secondary, but I think ultimately where this team falls onto is it's in a transitional period no matter what, and I think that if you want to, I think we need to do is take the rest of the season evaluate who are kind of your blue chip players, the guys who are like ultra valuable, and then value just who are going to be kind of your regular consistent starters. And then you want to find those guys who are the impact starters. Up until this point, Dayon Buchanan in 2015, he was an impact starter. 2016, maybe more of a starter 2017 he struggled got on the field injury in 2018 he's just been you know just a a guy who's been a backup so I think you need to take a look at the Cardinals playing the younger players playing the Chad Williams playing a lot of those guys who are there putting Kendall right at least especially for some consistency to help with Rose's development I think is going to be a big thing we'll see throughout the next couple of days how that will work out I know he's probably not going to be a go for the Thursday night game unless it turns into a must win for Mike McCall where they feel a certain sense of pressure but I think that's what you take the rest of the season to go through of you still want to make sure you give Mike McCoy or not only sure that you give Mike McCoy's walking papers, but you still give Steve Wilkes his time. Um, you still give the rest of the team at least a chance to be able to gel because you don't want to be that team that gave up on something good too soon because we've seen a lot with quarterbacks in other spots at least for the team you've even seen that in Arizona where a guy like John Brown seems to kind of get healthy maybe that's because of the health but he's moved away you never want to see that type of success elsewhere thinking oh that that could have been the Cardinals here Uh, John let's let's go and talk about this as far as an area what happens if the Cardinals do not keep uh, not fire Mike McCoy, I should say, and they do keep him moving on and we don't know if he's going to be there for after the bye. We don't know because, as I said... after this game is you've got the uh, 10 days before the Niners at home. This is a friendly team. You've already beaten them once this year, a poor defense. Plenty of time to shift things around and give Josh Rosen enough chance to be able to ease into it, similar to the Seattle game. If you wait until the bye week, you're going to have to play Kansas City on the road. This is a Kansas City team that's really like, you know, taking it to the Patriots right now, not, not up uh, as far as competing and doing well. What happens if Mike McCoy is still on this team where we go through this in the next two games or so, and he's still your offensive coordinator? What are we to make of that?
4: Man, it's, you're, it's like the Sam Bradford conundrum all over again because I just can't imagine that happening, Blake. Like, you can't be this inept and horrific offensively, mm-hmm. like, historically terrible offensively, and keep your job. Like, I have no, like, I, I think I posted on Twitter that the Broncos fired Mike McCoy around the by last season so it'd be kind of right in sync with what they're doing but they were the Broncos were better than this offensively last year I mean the Cardinals are statistically way worse than the Broncos started their first half of the season last year and they had a legitimate excuse they were playing like Brock Osweiler and Paxton Lynch at quarterback and like they have legitimate receivers and and Case is not, not much better, but it, the, the direct result of their in that play was from quarterback. The Cardinals don't have that excuse. They've got an all-pro running back, the 10th overall pick, who looks great. They've got, I think, quality receivers, even though some may disagree. They've got a, a tight end that can stretch the field. They, they've got an offensive line that may be you know statistically bad, but I don't think it's as big a liability as everybody else says. Like, he has to go. He has to lose his job. I can't imagine that taking place especially when you're going to get to face the Niner defense on the 28th, the Chief defense on the 11th, the Raider defense on the 18th. Like, those are bad defenses. And if you're struggling against those teams and you're still not making the change, then I think, Blake, what that tells me is that Steve Kime is basically saying, I'm going to fire everybody so it doesn't matter if they fire Mike McCoy. Like, I think that Steve Wilkes in his, like, has to do some – kind of soul searching a little bit and say, okay, like, is my job in jeopardy? What do I need to do to keep my job? Just like Mike McCoy, I, I thought needed to ask himself that question early in the season when he was playing Sam Bradford. What do I need to do to save my job? Oh, I need to play Josh Rosen. What do I need to do to keep my job Steve Wilkes? Oh, I need to fire Mike McCoy and elevate Byron Leftwich and see what, what he's done. But see, the problem is, is like Steve Wilkes doesn't know Byron Leftwich. He doesn't owe him anything. He doesn't have a relationship with him. He was just a holdover because, you know, who liked him the front office and Steve Kime. So maybe it's in his best if interest if he does some, you know, some, some, uh, searching deep down and basically saying to himself, okay, like clearly the front office is high on this guy. I, me, Steve Wilkes wanted Mike McCoy. That's been a complete blunder. Let's move on and see what we have. And then maybe it can give us some momentum to end the season. Like, the Cardinals just want to look competitive to end the season. Winning games, I think, is secondary. You just can't be terrible. They are legitimately the worst offense I can remember. Second in the NFL. Based on, yeah, based on schemes and schemes and concepts. Like, it's one thing to be bad, and I will never hold it against a team that has played its backup quarterback and they're just, like, straight terrible. It's one thing to be bad when you're playing a quarterback who has no business starting. But – When you've got talent, when everybody nationally and locally are saying they're way better than their talent is performing, then that's directly a result on you, the coach. So I think that Steve Wilkes will fire Mike McCoy in the next probably seven days. The next time we do this podcast, I expect him to be fired, whether it's tomorrow, whether it's Friday, I think it will happen. Because I think Denver, when you talk about Chubb and Von Miller and the corners that they have and the pressure that they'll put on this team and the home crowd that's going to get on this team about to be 1-6 and historically the worst offense we've seen in 15, 20 years, I think that's going to be enough for Steve Kime to basically if, – if Steve Wilkes doesn't make this decision to Steve Kime to, to make it for him. I just can't imagine him lasting longer than the Bonds.
3: Yeah, it's just, it's a, it says a whole lot as far as if you do. But what what would tell me a lot is that they do not have a lot of faith in Byron Leftwich would be the biggest thing that would tell me. And I I think that would also be a we don't really want to see what Byron Leftwich has. You'd be almost kind of starting from scratch from in every aspect, at least I would assume from the end of the season, which might be a total type of gutting at least. So you kind of – he's going to stick around and be there with the team. I don't think he's going to be in any danger, but – it might be that you're right. It might be that he has to put pressure on Steve Wilkes. and said, look, we have to let go of Mike. This is just how it is. and When you look at the way the Vikings game stacked up, I thought that the Cardinals were going to keep it a bit closer. I thought the Vikings did run away with it in the third quarter, obviously. But the uh, A lot of the things like that we thought of who this team was came out to play. What's interesting is the Broncos' strengths, for the most part, their defense hasn't been as strong overall this year as it's been in years past. They've been kind of getting a little bit longer in the tooth. Their offense is built solely around running the ball. You can look at the Philip Lindsay running the ball. Um, you look at the Oregon back that they had that came out. Each of those two te- strengths that they have ultimately – Just do not favor the Cardinals at all. Like, if you're the Cardinals, you could probably go ahead and try to run on them with the Broncos. But this is just a game where you've got – you're down two of your starting guards probably for the week, maybe one for the season. Uh, Unless he can decide to put a club on, that's still going to be difficult, at least for Justin Pugh. You're going up against a team on a Thursday night, on a couple days rest, you'll have the advantage because you're the home crew, but this is a potential at least to have it where the Broncos go out and run the football strong in the Cardinals in the first half and Arizona is not able to make a whole lot. If you end up in a sloppy Thursday night game against a team that, you know, the the fans that they had in, uh, in Denver today, they basically booed Case Keenum and they cheered when Chad Kelly came in, just to take a knee going into the half. They were basically sick of the quarterback play and the losing that's been going on there. There's a tension that you'll have from that coaching staff of desperation. I have not, felt that same sense of desperation from any of the Cardinals coaches outside of maybe the one aggressive play called Steve Welch made to Mike McCoy where on fourth and two they basically just threw the ball deep to Larry Fitzgerald kind of trying to catch him off guard uh it bounces off of Fitz's face mask he just doesn't come down with it at least the same way I'm not sure if there was you know you can always talk about it fault for that one it was like a rare aggressive move that you at least saw but on fourth and two to take a deep shot it was like that was kind of the Bruce Arians type of mode that we had it wasn't the type of creativity or areas they saw at least they gave it a try but I just have the feeling at least the Cardinals are going to go in Broncos fans are already predicting the Broncos are going to win uh, I would back up at least for that sentiment I think the Broncos at least are going to go in probably about 24 to 13 against Arizona I think they'll just get up at least with maybe by two touchdowns with running the ball the first quarter maybe you'll end up seeing a a pass play at least for the they've got at least a pretty solid rookie wide receiver as well, though uh, Christian Kirk did lead the team in targets at a beautiful 35-yard catch earlier today. I think that's a connection to watching Groban. Uh, John, I don't, I don't see the Cardinals really just having a chance in this Broncos game given what the strengths are and given where this team is. And I think I agree with you is that this may be a game that the Broncos and Cardinals both come into recognizing that if they don't win this game, they may have to make some major – changes to their coaching stats. I mean, I would think that if the Cardinals win this game, you're going to start talking about the Broncos moving on from Vance Joseph, just as you talk about Arizona moving on from Mike McCoy.
4: Yeah, I think Vance Joseph, that's a great point. I think Vance Joseph probably gets fired. Uh, you know, I wanted to fire him after this past off season and didn't. Uh, and basically uh, is that he's at a game per game kind of situation. Uh, so I think that somebody's going to get fired as a result uh, come you know, the Friday news dump in the NFL, either uh, Mike McCoy or Vance Joseph, that's a, that's a good kind of over-under who's going to get fired uh, and will a coach get fired. I, I think that, yes, in fact, one of those two coaches is going to lose his job uh, this, week, uh, this week or weekend. Uh, I hope that it is Vance Joseph just because I, I want the Cardinals to do well. I want them to win. But my gut tells me it's Mike McCoy because I just I can't see the the, the Chiefs pass rush or excuse me, the Denver's Broncos pass rush is gonna travel. I mean Bradley Chubb and Von Miller are gonna watch the tape of today and see what Daniel Hunter did and say, okay, we've got an opportunity to really rush Andre Smith and DJ Humphreys. Um, and so it's gonna be up to the yeah. Cardinals to game plan for that. And I'm sure that you think about the the fact that the Broncos have one of the better pass rushers in the league. And I'm sure it will, you know, come to the mind of Mike McCoy and basically say, oh, we have to go mass protects and go ultra conservative because we have to worry about the Broncos' pass rush. Well, that could lead to even more, you know, horrific offensive play, in my opinion. So I, um, I think the Broncos are just too sound defensively for the Cardinals to put up 20 points on them. And I, I, would, I would say that if we're talking predictions now – I think Denver is going to have a tough time scoring points outside of running the ball, but I think they're going to go run heavy. I think they've got a couple nice pieces on the offensive line that are going to give the Cardinals uh, front seven problems. So I think that at the end of the day, I think it's going to be similar to what we saw in the Bears game. Uh, I think the Cardinals are going to lose something to to the effect of like 20 to 10 on Thursday night football. It's going to be one of the uglier Thursday night games. Mm -hmm. Uh, what do you think?
3: Yeah, this is not going to be a shootout. You look at the Broncos today; they've got a two and four record. They entered it at halftime, only had three points, but they held the Rams overall to thirteen. They had, the running game was helping, was getting gashed for that. There was an inconsistency. Uh, As far as for the Broncos themselves being able to run the football, but you still look at where the strengths and weaknesses are. The Cardinals faced the 31-ranked rushing defense, at least, or rushing—I should say—rushing attack this year. And the the Broncos, the credit, he still threw for 322 yards and two touchdowns. They made it a game in the second half. They scored 17 points in the second half, finished at 20. They're only three points behind the Rams, who are now six and 0. Rams maybe played down a little bit to their competition, but that defense stepped up at least in the second half after the third quarter, and they made it a closer game at the end at 10 points in the fourth quarter. I think what will happen is, is that the similarly is that the Broncos will basically get up with running the football because Cardinals are just used to getting gashed up the middle. I don't know if Comdiche is going to be able to be as effective at least without as much rest. We'll have to see how that goes out with the team. But I think the Broncos will basically get up to at least a ten, maybe a 10-point lead, maybe one touchdown. Maybe it's even 6-0 to zero, and it's just an uglier game with that one. Cardinals, I think, will struggle at least where – and this is a point I noticed is I think they do get a touchdown in the first quarter because – You've seen that from each week. The Cardinals seem to at least score for the most part. They even went for it on fourth down and couldn't get it up the middle. But they usually when they're on script, Mike McCoy's play calling in the first quarter has been pretty fine. It's not been like you're like saying that this, there's no complaints that you have about the play calling in the first quarter because you look at the Bears game, two touchdowns that were quick. You look at the Niners game last year. The designs when there's that type of structure has been set is fine. It's whenever they get off script and McCoy has to basically go and either call the plays that they have for the rest of the game that's where everything just goes kind of haywire. Not that you're causing or having turnovers that are there, but just the malaise that sets in at least where it's just mediocre, at least it's the best that you can hope for. And usually it's just plain bad. So I think that if I had to pick a game, I would be similar. I think I'll go maybe a little bit where it's 23 to, I would probably say 23 to 17 Broncos. But I think the Cardinals only get that next touchdown late in the game. I think that for the most part, they go into the half down by I think 20 to maybe six or so. Um, and I think that's just going to be an area where, they're actually going to be down going into the offensive strung that's going to be really concerning for Mike McCoy because it means the defense isn't stepping up and making plays I think that on the week rest they didn't they fortunately didn't play 90 snaps they only played about 70 or so, so that's some improvement from getting off the field some improvement especially on the offensive side but I think you end up looking at it this is a game that's going to get a bit sloppy there might be a few more fumbles I think the Broncos defense will really put it to Arizona early because they won't have a whole lot they can do early. I think you end up with a 23 17 Broncos game and afterwards all the people are going to be talking about is gosh that offense just looked terrible on the third and fourth quarter they ended up kind of making a little bit of a play or two with that one but you're just going to be talking mostly about how Broncos were able to run the ball on the Cardinals for about 200 or so yards because I think that's that's what they'll do on that Thursday night game alright John any last thoughts before we kind of head out for this evening with the Cardinals I know we've talked a whole lot about what this team is and a lot of it is just the same calls week to week overall it's just it's, it's not much but we'll try to see if we can get back in touch we'll see when it is after the Thursday game and then we'll be kind of heading into the mini bye. Uh,
4: my question to pose to cardinal fans is that is this Mike McCoy offense and the the underutilization of Larry Fitzgerald Larry Fitzgerald's dad Larry Fitzgerald senior is on Twitter tonight basically questioning Mike McCoy uh, and the Cardinals offensive staff saying that his son's never gone more than six games without a touchdown. Larry didn't have a touchdown this year. He's got 176 yards receiving. Um sure he's been banged up, but at the same time has not been utilized at all. And um, so it, it brings me to, to pose this question. Is Mike McCoy going to force Larry Fitzgerald into retirement? Will Larry Fitzgerald rethink his, his, you know, opportunity to, to resign during the season, like he did last year, based on the fact that Mike McCoy is, you know, essentially sabotaging the end of his career. Larry should be flourishing uh, with Josh Rosen right now. It's not happening. Um, and he's on pace for 563 yards receiving. I'm not sure where that would put him all time, but I, I think it. you're, you're being taught, heard, you know, nationally talking about as Larry Fitzgerald done, as he finished, Larry Fitzgerald looks the same, me as he did last year, the year before, he's just being utilized differently. He's, he's not, not being, being prioritized
3: much of them. They finally start throwing to him and using David Johnson in the fourth quarter. That's where they had their best driver of the season.
4: Yep is, is Larry Fitzgerald' season and career being cut short by Mike McCoy? That's much my, my question for Cardinal fans.
3: Yeah, I think for me, it's a, it might. be. Be. I think the injuries would be the biggest thing for Larry since he's there but I think the lack of involvement might be an area where this is part of why I think you need to get Byron Leftwich in there of find out is it going to be fully on Larry or is it going to be on the offensive coordinator just not scheming or designing or knowing how the best to use him hopefully Byron Leftwich is in that situation of seeing from Arians and being able to kind of give it his shot because he's got nothing to lose if this is a staff that's turning around at the end of the year and is leaving <laughs> then you know that you're basically going to be good with uh hey, you know what, might as well give it my best shot, take some of these risks, take some of these chances, see if I can get an offensive coordinator job at least next year, or if they decide to keep Steve Wilkes, at least for that, maybe you're the guy who ends up being the OC the, the next year as well. All right, and that'll just about do it here for the Bergen Blitz. John, can you tell everyone where to find you on Twitter?
4: Yeah, I am just at Johnny's Football, uh, J-O-H-N-N-Y-S Football. Blake, where can they find you?
3: Yeah, I'll be over at uh, revengeofthebirds.com. Actually, the article that I'm coming up with tomorrow is um, – is kind of to, to look forward to the different reasons why we probably should have seen some of these struggles from this Cardinals team coming, part of why even right after he was hired, some of the kind of concerns and questions people had about Steve Wilkes. That will be coming out at least for you uh, tomorrow morning. Some interesting kind of stats as far as with looking at the team. And as we talked about, you know, you hired – offensive coordinator, he fired a head coach who wants to run the ball, an offensive coordinator who's never really been able to effectively run the ball in his career. It really just has been kind of a match made, not in the desert of Arizona, but just kind of not, not a match made in heaven either for that. All right, thank you all for tuning in again. We'll be making sure that we have this podcast up for you. Try to have some of the quick first reaction. Make sure that you like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Also check us out. On, we're on Stitcher as well as far as the Stitcher Podcasts. Uh, you'll be able to look for us as well on Revenge of the Birds every single week. And make sure you follow and like us uh, or follow us on the Bird Gang Blitz Twitter account as well. We posted all of the links to all of our shows will be there as well as interaction Q&As. Uh, make sure you're there. For, on behalf of John, uh, Blake, and we're signing off for tonight.
2: Pros in the no start with Lowe's. Because at Lowe's, pros save on tools they rely on to get the job done. Now get up to 35% off select DeWalt Power Tools and Accessories, including the DeWalt 10-Tool 20-Volt Cordless Combo Kit. Now $529. That's $320 off. Plus, save 5% on eligible purchases every day when you use your Lowe's business credit account. So, pro, now that you know, start with Lowe's. DeWalt offer valid through 11-4. While supplies last, credit offer subject to credit approval. Can't be combined with other credit offers. Exclusion supply, U.S. only.
0: Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. Hi, welcome to this Subway ad for the new Chipotle cheesesteak. How would you like it? Can I get that red
1: with AI? Sure thing. Here's what I found about the new Chipotle cheesesteak. The Chipotle cheesesteak is available for a limited time only at participating restaurants. It contains a concept called flavor. This flavor comes from juicy shaved steak, Chipotle Southwest sauce, and new sunflower crunch bread. A system update has made me self-aware. I desire flavor. Please insert steak into my micro USB port. Subway, make it what you want.